let me, uh, let me pray for us real quick. Lord Jesus, we God, together, our hearts wrap around that truth. God, your will. God, your will, your way. God, let, let us not hang on to the things we hang on to and begrudgingly go your way, but God, with joy. God, with joy, we say this tonight, your will and your way. God, I pray for tonight. Jesus, I thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, and I pray for every heart, God, of every student in this room. God, what we talk about tonight is heavy. God, if our hearts aren't prepared to receive, God, what I believe you want to say tonight it might hurt because God the honest truth is we don't like to be called out on our, on our sin God so as we talk about sin God would you soften our hearts God would you soften them God would they make would you make our hearts open to what you want to say to us tonight God I know Everyone in this room, God, are, are, is dealing with things um, and problems and hurts, maybe pains. God, I pray that your spirit tonight would set them free. God, they are free in you. Oftentimes we don't believe that, but God, tonight, would you cause us to believe that? God, so open our ears, open our eyes, that we may behold the wondrous things in your word. Speak tonight, God, we are listening. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let me just say this first. Um, I was sitting back um, in the back when, Megan, you were talking, and you made me cry. You've made me, honestly, I mean, I'll, I'll, here, I need that, Scott. Um, Megan, you made me cry because it's been a long time, if ever, that I've heard um, someone like, you know, a high school student, you know, say something like that and just be so confident in um, what God is calling them to do. So thank you for sharing that and um, let that be just a testimony to, to us all. Um, that the words of this book right here, I hope you guys, if you brought it, yeah, go ahead and bring it out. But the words of this book can change, as Megan can attest to, can change your life. I don't know if you be- believe that, but I know Megan does. I know a lot of people in this room believe that. But this book can absolutely change your life in a matter of days. You know what I mean? Some, sometimes God will speak, um, and it might take a while, if you know, for that voice to be heard clearly in direction but sometimes like in Megan's case it um it's heard like that and your life now is going it was going this way but guess what now it's going this way and it's for God's glory so amen don't make me cry next time all right all right 
Um, so today we're going to talk about something, as I prayed, that is a little heavy. Um, and so I pray that your hearts are a little softened tonight. I pray that um, as we talk about what we're going to talk about, um, you deal with it um, in the right way and not, um, not with a spirit of, oh, I don't sin, I don't, I don't need to talk about that. Uh, I don't need to deal with that. But here's the reality. We all, we all sin. We all struggle with it, um, whether, we, whether we know it or not. Um, here's what the Bible says. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not. In the Greek, that means do not ever, never, ever, never, never, ever, ever. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything... Whether life is good or whether life is bad, in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. That's from Philippians 4. Um, And that text, that passage of scripture for me, um, helps me with the sin of anxiety. Um... I've realized more so probably in the last year or two, maybe, um, that I, I can be so anxious. Is anybody else always anxious? Worry, like, is anybody a worry wart? <laughs> just think, think about the, the image of a worry wart. That's just, that's just nasty. Um, but I struggle with anxiety. And I know it's a sin because the Bible says, do not be anxious. And so for me, for me, I don't know what it is for you. It, it could be anxiety. It could be something totally separate other than anxiety. But I don't know for you, but for me, anxiety is a sin that I deal with all the time. It's one of those sins in my own life that, that I absolutely hate. It has, and, and it can, if I'm not careful, if I don't, what we're going to talk about tonight, kill it. If I don't kill that sin in my life. It can do this to my life. It can wring me, wring me dry to where I'm of no use. And that's what sin does. Sin can be so over, um, overwhelming sometimes that it'll squeeze the very life out of you um, if you're not careful. And so I open up with that because what we're going to talk about tonight, <clears throat> it, it may be anxiety for you, but it could be something totally Separate. What we're going to talk about is, is sin. And I want us to look at um, a passage in Second Samuel. Um, many of you have heard it. It's called David and Bathsheba. Who's heard of that? The, pa- the passage isn't called David and Bathsheba, but that is, that's the story we're going to look at um, together. So I want us tonight to have a, a reverent, a worshipful heart, a worshipful spirit as we look at what it means um, to deal with sin, what sin is. So if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> excuse me, go ahead and open up to Second uh, Samuel chapter 11 and we'll look, that, look at that in, in just a second. Um, I believe that tonight it would be incredibly disrespectful to the person of Jesus and what he did on the cross if we did not take an accurate look at sin in our own life. Because Jesus died for that. And so for us to come in here and sit down and say, oh, I don't, I don't sin, I don't, I don't struggle with that. Anxiety? Psh, I don't struggle with anxiety. I must not sin. For us, I'm going to trip over this. For us to, to, to come in here and, and not deal, and not think about 
the, the sin that's in our own heart and life would be incredibly disrespectful to what Christ did on the cross for your sin. For your sin and my sin. <clears throat> so, let's start together by answering this question. What is sin? So, anybody have a, a brief three or four word definition of what sin Anything that goes, dang, man, I shouldn't ask that question. Anything that doesn't go against God is, is sin. That's exactly right. So is sin a thing? Is it an attitude or is it an action? Because if the Bible tells us not to sin, we have to know first what sin is so as not to sin. Does that make sense? We have to know what sin is because the Bible says not to sin. So we have to know what sin is to be able not to sin. So... First off, uh, let's just kind of make this a blanket statement tonight, and um, this will be kind of the foundation of what we're going to talk about. But back in the garden, who's ever heard of Adam and Eve? Everyone, every hand should go up. If, you're, if you don't, read your Bible. Um, Adam and Eve, when Adam sinned in the garden, you know, he ate his apple, right? I bet you that was a, no, Eve did. Eve ate the apple, and I bet you it was a good apple. Um, but when they sinned, their sin, this is kind of, this is really, really, really important, but their sin was actually our sin as well. It's not their sin and then, oh, we, we kind of, you know, when we first lied or when we first cheated, we then sinned. No, it's, it's called the doctrine of original sin, meaning, uh, it's a big word, don't worry about it, but what it means is that their sin, Adam's sin, sin spread to all men because of what Adam did. So it wasn't when you first lied or when you first cheated on a test or when you um, thought something bad for the first time. That's not when you became a sinner. You became a sinner when you were born. Like it or not, you were born into this world with something called sin. Um, I was just um, blessed by God in an immense way um, when my sister gave birth to her first baby boy. So my first uh, nephew. His name is Lincoln. Um, I don't have a picture of him. I wish I did, Scott. But uh, cutest little thing. He is so fat. <laughs> he is literally the fattest baby I've ever seen. Like, you know, his, his legs are like... Not like this big, but, you know, they have rolls. Okay, here's the funny thing. My sister, when she takes a bath, has to, like, separate his neck fat to be able to clean inside. Yeah, it's... I'm like, oh, man, that's poor kid. She's like, mom, don't, mom, don't. So when Lincoln gets... He's uh, 16 weeks, so can't talk, barely smiles. But um, when he gets to an age... So probably here in the, in, the, in, the, in the near future. When he gets to an age where he can disobey, what does that make him? Disobedient. So do you have to teach a kid how to be disobedient? No. If for any of you who've been, hope, been to hope for very long, you've probably heard this analogy. But you don't have to teach a baby or people how to sin, right? You don't have to, te- you don't have to teach them how to lie. You don't have to teach them to be disobedient. Why? Because when you were born, you were, you were born into sin. You were already a sinner when you were born. But specifically, here's what, here's what sin is. Okay, we're all born into the world with sin, and, and that's something we have to deal with um, individually. But here's what sin is, and, and um, he hit it on the head. He said, anything, this is what sin is, anything that doesn't proceed from a heart and life of complete faith and trust in God is sin. If you're taking notes, write that down. Anything, anything that doesn't proceed from a heart, which is speaking of my, my thoughts, my intentions, 
Anything that doesn't come from a heart and a life of complete faith and trust in God is sin. When we sin, we sin with our actions, we sin with our words, our deeds, our thoughts, our intentions. Our hearts don't come from, if 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 sin doesn't come from there and spring forth from a complete faith and trust in God. Anything that's not that is sin. So you can see now how broad, like from here to here, how broad sin is. Sin isn't just little tiny things. Yes, it's that, but it's not just that. Anything, anything that's not from a heart of complete trust and faith in God is sin. So here's what I understand now, and I hope you understand. I pray, I pray, I pray that you understand this tonight. I hope that when you leave this place tonight, that you realize, one, that you are a sinner. That we all struggle with sin. I have been so overwhelmingly convicted this week about my own sinfulness. Like there's not, a, there's not a day that goes by, there's not a moment that goes by that I don't. And I pray that tonight you realize how much you need Jesus and you need the blood of Christ to cover that, that sin. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. When we realize our own sinfulness, when we come to that point in our lives, we then see the amazing grace of God. Meaning we see that what Jesus did on the cross, we see how sweet that is. We see how important that is. Listen, because if it wasn't for the cross of Christ and what he did, we would have no hope, zero, zero hope to ever earning a relationship with God. That might totally blow some of your minds tonight. If you've been to hope, it might not because you've heard it all the time. But there's zero hope for you to earn by what you do. Zero hope for you. Everything, and I mean everything, rests on what Jesus did on the cross to buy you back, to redeem you into the family of God. So we have to see how important the grace of of God is. When we realize how important and how absolutely essential the grace of God is, that, that is what's gonna change our life. That's, that's what's gonna make sin seem so undesirable. That's gonna make sin seem so dissatisfact, dissatisfactory. Dissatisfying? Wrong suffix. <laughs> right suffix? It's been a long time since I've been out of. So when we realize that God in his grace sent Christ for us, that's amazing grace. When we realize that, that is when we begin to see how sinful we are and how much daily, moment by moment, we need to reckon, we need to accept what Christ did on the cross for us as enough. And it is. But here's, 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 the, here's the reality, and I've noticed this, um, and I pray that you notice this too, but sin, this is kind of controversial, but listen, sin can be fun. I mean, who here can attest that sin could be a little fun? Come on. It's okay. Be honest. Sin can be fun, right? When you know that there's something you're not supposed to do, there's actually something in your body that happens. There's something called, you've all heard adrenaline, right? When you, when you know you're not supposed to do something, you have like an adrenaline shock to your system and you're like, oh, I want more of that. You know? Why do you think bank robbers rob banks so often? 
or criminals do crimes all the time. Because they want, <laughs> criminals do crime because they love the adrenaline. They love that adrenaline that comes. You don't, oh, I, I won't even go there, never mind. I won't even go there. But listen, sin can be fun, it can be pleasurable. But when we sin, we are looking for pleasure in the wrong place. Because where we're looking for pleasure in that sin, it actually does not exist at all. It doesn't exist. The pleasure that we think that we can get from sin, where we are looking, there's actually no pleasure at all. God says, in, uh, the psalmist says in, in Psalm 1611, it says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So when we seek to find pleasure in anything other than God, we're looking in the wrong place. And guess what? We're not going to find it. We're not going to find pleasure in, in, uh, in lusting after things. We're not going to get pleasure in being jealous. We're not going to get pleasure in being envious or, not, or, or wanting what other people have or any other sin you can think of. You're not going to find pleasure in that. The only place, the only place you'll, fly, you'll find true pleasure is in the presence of God. That's it. It's the only place you're going to find it. So let's, tonight, let's stop looking for pleasure in the wrong places. Because if you're like me, you'll look. You'll look everywhere to find that. But it's not in sin. It's not. It's not there. So everyone, you got your Bibles open? Give me a nod if you do. Or you got your phones up? Find the YouVersion app. Um, so let's look at Second Samuel chapter 11, because this chapter is about the sin of David. It's kind of long, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll kind of just fill you in on what happened um, during the, um, the, the, the other part of the story. But let's read from verse 1 um, to 5. We're going to read 1 through 5. Everyone there? Here we go. And the spring, first of all, let me say this. Who knows who David is? Everyone knows who David is? I don't have to clarify that at all. David, man after God's own heart, killed Goliath with a rock. Awesome dude, right? Greatest king in all of Israel. Jesus came from uh, the line of David. Important guy, Old Testament. So let's read. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him. And all Israel. And they ravaged the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It's kind of weird. David's a king, but yet he didn't go out with all the other kings to battle. Verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. So he was just chilling there. And was walking on the roof of the king's house. That he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam? The wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him. And he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived... 
And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. <laughs> Three words that some guy, ne- <laughs> I never, unless I'm married, I never want to hear those words. <laughs> That's not what she sounded like, but I never, listen, I never want to hear those words come out of anybody's mouth who's not my wife. And neither do you. Neither do you. So let's look at what um, David's sin, uh, let's look at what uh, some realities about David's sin. Number one, you can see this from the first verse, being alone led to sin. Now that we know what sin is, we have to know how not to sin. So here's number one from David. Being alone led to sin. Verse one, let's read it again. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So when all the other kings whom David was go out to battle, David was like, nah, y'all go ahead. I'll send somebody else to do my job. So David remained at Jerusalem. He didn't go. He didn't go. By staying behind in Jerusalem, unknowingly, because David didn't know this, but unknowingly, David was giving sin the opportunity to attack. You know, oftentimes when we read the Bible, this is just an insert here, oftentimes when we read the Bible, we read it so fast that we miss so much. We miss so much when we read the Bible so fast that there are truths in there, in the Bible, in God's word, that he wants to speak, but yet since we're so busy all the time, we just read so fast. I mean, I can attest, who can attest to that? Who can say, man, I read the Bible like 100 words a minute, like nobody's business. I read the Bible, or if you're a slow reader, you read it slow, which is actually very good, because I've learned that if you read the Bible fast, like we said, we miss so, so much. You would read right over David, but David remained at Jerusalem. You would read right over that if you weren't paying attention right over that. So read the Bible very slow. So here's the truth I want us to get tonight. When you and I aren't doing what we're supposed to be doing, like David, we may not know it, but we are giving sin the upper hand to attack. By David not going out to battle like he was supposed to be doing, he didn't know it, but he was giving sin the opportunity to attack. All right, All of us in this room are not military strategists, but I want you to think like one. All right, try your best. Try your best. We may be sitting back comfortable like David was. David was chilling, straight up chilling in his couch, just eating, you know, grapes like they do. (laughs) Getting fanned. He's probably getting fanned, you know, being lazy. But listen, we may be sitting back comfortable at home, at home base like David was, but since we are not able to see the front lines of the battlefield. David couldn't see where those kings are going. On the battlefield of sin, this is what we aren't able to see. We aren't able to see sin slowly and deceptively encircling the base. Since we aren't there, since we aren't at the front lines, we don't know if they're broken up. We don't know if the, if the front lines have been, have been crossed. Often when we sin, sin is so close, and since our front lines have been blown to pieces, we succumb and the temptation and, and we sin. David had no idea sin was just around the corner when he decided to hang back from going into battle. So here's the truth I want us to, to, to hear tonight. When you least expect it, 
When you're just going about your day, and this is true, it's happened to me. When you're going about your day, you don't know it. But sin is right across from you. It's right around the corner. So we have to put safeguards and boundaries on our own lives. Because if we don't, it's like we don't even have front lines anymore. We're like, oh, we don't need front lines. No, safeguard is your, is your front line. You need that. You desperately, desperately need it. If you struggle, it's going to get kind of touchy here, but listen. If you struggle with sexual sin, like most of the people, most of the guys probably statistically in this room do, if you struggle with that and you don't put safeguards up, you're giving sin the opportunity to attack you. You don't have the front lines. You're, you, you think, if you don't have safeguards, you think that you're strong enough not to succumb to that when temptation arises. But guess what? I know me, and I know most of you. If you don't have those safeguards up, you'll sin every time. You'll choose it every time. Because sin is so strong. It'll deceive you, and you'll, and you'll, and you'll sin. If you deal with something like jealousy, don't put yourselves in situations where jealousy can happen. I, I know, because having been your age, I, I kind of know this, but when there's a relationship that you, that you think about with that other person, that other guy or other girl, when you think about that, that's so easy to be jealous about that. It really is. So how can you guard against jealousy? How can you? How can you? You don't go in that relationship, right? Yes, we're called to love one another. But if if that situation or if that relationship is causing you to be jealous all the time or even envious or covetous, I think it's a word, coveting, wanting what other people have, guess what? It may be time that you remove yourself from that because sin is that damaging. You don't know this. I pray that you do. But sin is so damaging. And it'll leave scars. If, if you are not um, guarding yourself from sin, it'll leave scars in your heart. And you don't want those. You don't want those. So it goes on and on. We all deal with sin. doesn't matter if it's jealousy, if it's envy, if it's sexual sin, whatever it may be for you. If you don't have guards up, if you don't have safe guards, boundaries up, You'll choose sin every time. Because if you're like me, if you don't have those, it's so tempting when the, when, when the temptation comes. Just say, oh, you know, I'll sin. I'll sin here. No one will know. That's a big one. Anyone heard that before? Oh, no one will know that I just sinned. But someone does know. I think you know who I'm, who I'm talking about. But someone does know that you have sinned. So, being alone led to sin. Number two. From the life of David, being lazy led to sin. Remember what it said? It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof. So, like I said, he was getting, you know the big white fans they do? Like, he's probably just laying there, you know, his hand in the grape jar, you know, just, just chilling there. So when you're lazy, you are being led. It's more, it's, it's, it's often 
that you, that you might, be, might be succumb to sin when you're being lazy. Everyone turn with your, in your Bible to Proverbs. Hold Second uh, Samuel. Everyone turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. Okay? It's, before, it's after Psalms. <laughs> it's not before Psalms. It's after Psalms chapter 5. So the, the proverb, if you guys, how many went to camp? A lot of people went to camp. All right, so you remember what Vance said? Proverbs was written in the perspective of a father to a son, right? You guys remember that? So this father is urging his son in verse one to be attentive to what he's saying. Let's read it together. Let's read from one to, f- one to four. Here we go. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. What he's saying here, and be attentive, he's saying the opposite of being lazy. He's like, don't be lazy, be attentive. Listen to what I'm saying. And then, he was, and then skip down to verse four, or verse three, I'm sorry. This is why he wants, wants him to be attentive. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And he says it again. Listen, verse 7. And now, O sons, listen to me. Don't be lazy. Listen. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Verse 8. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house another way you can translate verse 8 is run you run as hard as you can as fast as you can away from that situation from the sexual sin that so many people in this room are probably statistically speaking dealing with you run as hard as you can into the arms of Jesus Instead of into that sin. Because guess what? In God's presence, there's fullness of joy. You think that there's joy in that? There's not. There's not. So here's what he's saying He's saying, Son, don't be lazy, be attentive. So here's what happens I know this um, when we are alone. When we are alone, we think nobody else is watching. Someone is watching. And we cannot be lazy. Here's what happens, especially in the summer. Uh, since you don't have school or homework or anything, um, if you're like me, if you're like me, you spend a lot of time on the internet, right? Because there's nothing else to do. I mean, what do you do? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. What are some other ones that's out lately? Pinterest? Oh, yeah, I haven't heard of Pinterest. Well, I've heard of Pinterest, but I've never... Never checked it out. Isn't, don't you pin it or something? Like, oh, this is cool. Pin, right? <laughs> See, I do know something about it. So here's what happens. When we're lazy, when we go on the internet, guess what? It's one click away. Sin is literally one click away. And so we have to guard. We have to guard that time that we spend. Vance said it perfectly at camp. Don't go on the internet. When you're alone. Don't do it. Because the worst mistake of your life. Is one click away. 
even, so it could be the internet. It could be going to places where you don't, where you're not supposed to go. I know some of you here have dealt with the issue, and maybe some still do, um, of going to parties that might not be the best thing to go to. There's things there that you know that you struggle with, and yet you still go. Um, Listen, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Because if you know that you struggle with the things that are at this certain place, it's not worth it to go and maybe just have a little fun, you know, talk to some friends or whatever. If you know that that sin is so present in your life, and yet you just go to this place, oh, it won't happen to me, or um, I won't succumb to that. You don't have those safeguards up anymore. It's like you blew your own safeguard, and you're like, oh, I don't need it. (laughs) Am I right? I mean, does that make sense? Just don't go places you, you know that you are um, open to, that you, are, that you struggle with. If there's sin there, don't, don't involve yourself with those things. So being lazy leads to sin. Being alone led David to sin. And here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the big part. Um, if you go back to 2 Samuel 11, here's point number three. When you sin, you're likely going to try to cover it up. So, you, so we've looked at what led David to sin. He was alone. He was being straight up lazy. Okay, but so now, maybe you did sin. What do you do now? Well, if you're like me, sometimes you'll, you'll try your hardest to cover it up. You'll try anything. And from the life of David, we read that he, after, after uh, Bathsheba said that, I'm pregnant. After she said that, for, from verse 6, okay, 2 Samuel 11, from verse 6 to the end of the chapter, we read about David covering up his own sin. We read about David covering up his own sin. At first, let's read through, actually, let's, let's read verse 6 here. So David sent word to Joab. This is that guy that he sent away at the beginning instead of going himself. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked Joab how Joab was doing and how the war was going. So he's just making small talk here. I mean, listen, dude, I just, this is, this is kind of, um, uh, it's kind of funny, but it's, it's really not. After, the, after what David just did, he's just creating small talk with this guy. I mean, if I were David, I wouldn't have been near Uriah because of what I just did. But he's trying to make conversation here to try to cover up what, what he did. Let's skip down to verse, verse 8. So here, verse eight, then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him um, a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants and his Lord, of his Lord and did not go down to his house. And they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and, and Judah dwell in booths. And my Lord Joab... And, his serv- and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. And this goes, just goes on and on and on of David trying to cover up his sin. Go to verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and set it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him. 
that he may be struck down and die. So we read that David is an adulterer. He slept with Uriah's wife. And now we read that he wants Uriah dead. He was trying all these different things, sending him away, but no, uh, uh, Uriah didn't go to his house. He slept at um, the king's door. He, did, he tried all these things to cover up his sin. But he was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to deal with it anymore. Just send him out to the front of the battle and have him, ki- and have him killed. So we read that David was an adulterer and going to be, later in the story, a murderer. Let's go down to verse 24. So they're back in battle now. The archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. 26, skip down. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Listen to this. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What David did was incredibly wrong. He slept with someone who wasn't his wife, he killed the husband to cover his sin. I think we can all agree that's, that's, that's wrong, right? But listen, here's, here's two things about, about covering up our sin. And we learn this from David. Covering up your sin displeases God. Okay, when you know you've sinned, and instead of running to Christ and asking for forgiveness, you're like, oh, I don't really want to do that. I just want to kind of cover it up over here. You know, it's that picture of maybe there's been a, maybe a, a horrible car accident and maybe someone had died, right? What do they do? They put a sheet over the dead body, right? Out of respect. So here's what we do often. We sin. We're like, oh, instead of, you know, I, I know that there's forgiveness in Christ, but, you know, I don't know if that's the right thing or, or whatever. And we just try to put a blanket over our sin. We try to cover it up. Just like David, we try to cover up our sin. Now, we think that covering up a big sin like murder and adultery, we think that's wrong. And it is. But covering up sins like pride, covering up sins like anxiousness, anxiety, and worry, covering up those quote-unquote smaller sins is just as big and just as important. So don't think that you just covering up that little sin, don't think that's not a big deal. Because whatever sin it is, it's incredibly important to not cover up. You don't have to turn there, but listen to what it says in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. Whoever conceals, that means to cover up. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Conceals is that word it means to cover up. So when we cover up our sin, when we cover up our transgressions, guess what the Bible says? It says that we will not prosper. The one thing that we think will happen when we cover up our sin, it won't happen. Because point number two is that covering up your sin never ends the way you want it to. It will never turn out the way that you hope. 
But here's what we ought to do. Instead of covering up, instead of laying that blanket over our sin and saying, oh, it's not a big deal, you know, shove it under the, under the rug. It's not a big deal, but listen. He who confesses, that word means to throw away. It's, a picture, it's, a, it's that picture of, of someone who has maybe a rock or a stone or something and just chucks it as hard as they can. They're not going to see that rock again. When we confess, when we throw away, and when we forsake, which means to leave, to walk away from, when we do that to our sin, guess what we'll obtain? The Bible says we'll obtain mercy. We'll obtain the very mercy of God. And here's, here's, here's the big thing tonight. What I might have said is kind of like, you know, kicking you on the right down on the ground, kind of um, uncomfortable. But tonight, here's the good news. That our sin has already been covered. That our sin that we constantly struggle with, my sin of anxiety that I constantly struggle with, has already been covered in the blood of Christ. It's already been taken care of. In Romans 6 verse 6 says, The old man has been crucified with Christ. Meaning that the sin that I deal with, that old nature that I deal with, it's, it has been crucified. It's not um, is being crucified. It has been. Meaning that when Christ died on the cross for my sin, my sin was, was taken care of there. And I don't have to live under its bondage anymore. I don't have to be a slave to sin. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, born in a manger, grew up, and when he was 33 years old, he died on a cross. But in that whole 33 years, he didn't sin one time. He was tempted, but he never sinned. And that was the sacrifice God needed. He needed a perfect, spotless sacrifice so that our sin could be taken care of. And so when Christ died and he rose again, when we believe that, when we believe what the Bible says is true, God saves us. And he brings us into the family of God and covers our sin. So when he looks at you, if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian in the room tonight, when he looks at you, guess what? He doesn't see a sinner anymore. He doesn't see, so if you're a Christian, guess what? He doesn't see you as a sinner He sees you as spotless and as perfect and as holy as Jesus Christ himself. And so for us in that that battle of of sin and and killing this sin, which we'll talk about in a minute, that is huge to understand. We need to understand that when Christ died, our sin was taken care of. When we sin, that's not who we are anymore as a believer. we're, We're not under the bondage of sin anymore. So if you, whatever you deal with, whatever you struggle with, Whatever sin it may be, that is not who you are anymore if you're a Christian. And that's good news. That is very, very, very good news. So what happens? What do we do? What do we do, what do, we do if, we're, if we're caught in sin? So maybe tonight, as, as we've been singing, as I've been sharing, maybe there's something in your life that you're thinking about right now. And it's like, mm, I do struggle with that sin. And I really, I really struggle with that sin. What do I do? It's so incredibly easy. It's not hard. You ask God for forgiveness. That's all. You ask God for forgiveness. We have to come to a place in our hearts when we realize our own sin. 
And you do what David did. You ask for forgiveness. You don't have to turn there again. Um, I know I'm flipping around a lot today. But Psalms 50, 51 is actually what David wrote after he sinned with Bathsheba. And let me just read you a, f- a few verses. This is, what he re- this is what he writes. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And this verse may be for some of you tonight. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know that my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And David writes, against you, speaking of God, and against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So, So David got to this place in his heart where he realized, you know, I messed up I murdered somebody I was an adulterer so we have to come to this place in our hearts where we realize our own sin we need to ask God for forgiveness and this idea of asking God for forgiveness is that biblical word repentance most of you heard that but it's actually the word that means to turn your back to to turn away from and repentance is not just something we do when we um, when we are first saved when we're like God we need you when we accept the gospel and we repent It just doesn't end there. Repentance is a daily, moment by moment, turning away from yourself, turning away from your pride, turning away from whatever you struggle with to God. So it's not just a one-time thing. We have to always, always fight this battle of sin. So you ask God for forgiveness. And here's something, point number two. This is something that is very true, okay? What I'm saying is, is, is true because it works. Number two, you get violent against your sin. You get violent against your sin. So you're like, what, what, what does that mean? What does violent mean? How do you get violent against something? Listen to what Matthew 5, 29 through 30 says. This is in the context of, of marriage, but I think it, it could, uh, adultery, but it could be applied to anything, any sin. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin you tear it out and throw it away (laughs) I'm not going to be tearing out my eye (laughs) I'm just going to tell you that right now is the Bible actually saying okay (laughs) is it saying that oh I can't see anything is it saying that no obviously it's not saying tear your eye out let's keep reading for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away, for it is better than you lose one of your, that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. All right, so what he's not saying is don't pluck, don't pluck your eye out. <laughs> don't cut off your hand, because where does sin come from? Does it come from your eye? Does it come from your hand? No, it does not come from your eye or from your hand. Where does it come from? Your heart. So you, don't, <laughs> she said rip out your heart. Don't rip out your heart. Because that would not end well for you. I'm sorry. Don't worry about your heart. But listen, here's what, here's what this means. We have to get violent against our own sin. Do you hear what he says? He says, tear it out. He's not saying actually to tear it out, but what he's saying, you need to get violent against your sin. This sin in this context of Matthew 5 is, is adultery, but whatever sin you deal with, you need to get violent against that. You need to kill that sin. How do we kill sin? How do we do it? And this is the part that I've been learning and let me tell you, it, it's, it works. Okay, so maybe tonight you're like, oh man, I, I do struggle with that sin. 
Maybe you've asked forgiveness from God or maybe that's something you still need to do. But then how do you actually kill the sin that you, that you struggle with? Because remember, repentance is not just one-time thing. You have to continually, continually fight this battle of sin until God, you know, just totally changes your heart towards that thing, towards that sin. So how do you kill it? It's very simple. Very simple. For me, remember what I started with? Philippians chapter four. It says, do not be anxious. Here's all I do. To kill the sin of anxiety, whatever that is for you, to kill the sin of anxiety for me. I tell myself that verse. I say, Jordan, you don't have any worry, any reason to be, to be anxious. Jordan, you don't have to worry about anything because God is in control. And so that helps me cut off anxiety's head and kill it. Because listen, here's what, here's what I don't, it's not on the screen, but listen to what uh, a man by the name of John Owen said about this activity of killing your sin. Listen to what he said. He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If this activity, if this process of, of, of us killing our sin isn't a daily thing, guess what sin's gonna do? It's gonna kill you because sin is so deceptive it's like, it's that picture, you know, who knows, King Cobra, remember? King Cobra, uh, Steve Irwin, you know, he loved those things. Bless his heart. So here, here's what, here's what King Cobras do, right? They slither. <laughs> Philly little snake. They, uh, they, they slither and no one can see him, right? Their prey can't see him at all. But what happens? They're going. This is what sin does. You can't see it. It's, it's in the tall grass. You can't see it. And when that cobra sees its prey, what does it do, right? It stands up, right? Listen, don't let sin stand up. Don't let sin stand up. Like that cobra, when, when it stands up, guess what it's about to do in a millisecond? It's about to strike and kill whatever it's going after. So as soon as sin is standing up, guess what? It's right around the corner. It'll happen like that. So before sin even has that chance, you use, listen, you use this book. You use this book to kill that sin. You kill it with this book. For me, it's anxiety. For one of the things, it's anxiety for me. So I say, Jordan, you have no reason to be anxious. The Bible says not to. It says to pray with thanksgiving. So do that. And guess what? Here's the true part. It works every time. Every time I've done that, every time that anxious feeling inside me comes up, guess what happens? I kill it with that sin, with that verse. And guess what? I'm not anxious anymore. And so whatever that is for you, dig into God's word and find a promise and you bank everything you are on that promise. You bank everything you are who, who, on that promise. You do whatever it takes to kill your sin. Point number three, and then we'll be done. What do you do when you're caught in sin? You get people in your life to hold you accountable. I read a tweet uh, yesterday, I think it was, or this morning, 
Um, I don't remember who it's from, but listen to what it says. It says, everyone likes accountability until it's actually time to be accountable. Like we're all, we're all for it. Yeah, I'm going to get an accountability partner. And guess what? When we're like, ooh, I sinned today. I don't want to go to that meeting. Ooh. <laughs> we, love, we love having accountability, but guess what? When it times to be accountable with somebody, we're like, ooh, I don't like that. But guess what? It's incredibly important. I have two guys in my life that I, I can, who really know everything about me and who I can share anything with. Three guys. So you get people in your life. If you don't have them, girls, you get a girl that's older than you who's walked the path a little bit, walked the journey a little bit longer. You get, you get somebody like that in your life. Guys, if you have an, an older guy that you look up to who you trust, you talk to him. You meet with him. You be accountable with him. Because guess what that does? Remember what the Bible says in Proverbs? Iron sharpens iron. So as one man sharpens another. It's not talking specifically about men. It's talking about everybody. When we have those relationships in our lives that we can, you know, we can come to, you can come to that person and say, this is what I'm thinking about. Should I? Should I do it? Is it wise? Is it not? You know, I'm dealing with this sin. I need you to pray for me. Guess what that, guess what that does? It's sharpening us. It's that picture of that blacksmith who's taking that, what's it called blacksmith or swordsmith? Taking that, taking that uh, blade, you know, against that stone and sharpening it. That's what, our, that's what our friendships, that's what those accountability relationships are for. We get sharpened. So I don't know, I don't know how this lands on you tonight. What we've talked about, sin, it's a nasty word, I, I don't like it. But I don't know how this lands on you. What I pray is that tonight when we're, when we're responding here, I pray that tonight that you, you confess and you realize how much of a sinner you are and how desperately, desperately, desperately you need Christ. For some of you, that might be coming to Christ for the first time. For some of you, that could be, you know, God, I, I know I've struggled and I'm sorry. God, I ask for your forgiveness. It might be that. So you all bow your heads with me? Um, I'm gonna, I want to pray for you. Because what we've talked about tonight, if we don't deal with it, like I said in the beginning, it could be incredibly disrespectful to what Jesus did on the cross for you, what he did for your, for your eternity. So God, I, I pray for these students in this room. God, I pray for these leaders in this room. This message was not just for students. God, it's, it's for me. <laughs> It's for Scott, it's for Ben, it's for the other adult leaders in this room. God, we desperately, desperately need you. God, would you open up our eyes to the reality of the severity of our sin? I love that quote, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. For many in this room, that could have been the first time they've heard something like that. Some could have heard that for the first time and never have thought that, oh, if I sin this one time, it could be killing me. But every time we do sin, Father, 
every time. God, we are replacing the fullness of joy in your presence and the pleasures that are in you. God, for something that is so cheap, so counterfeit. God, would we realize that tonight? God, show us our sin that's in our heart. The Bible says if we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear. So God, if there's sin there, we're not confessing that. Guess what? Every prayer that we pray to you, Father, you won't hear. So God, we come clean tonight. We confess, we say the same thing you do about our sin. It is wrong. God, and we need forgiveness. God, I pray for that person in this room tonight who who may not know you, who may not have that relationship with you. And Father, everything I've just said makes no sense apart from what Jesus did on the cross. So Father, for that person, God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. God, draw them to yourself. God, do something in their hearts in this moment right now. Show them how precious and how sweet the cross of Christ is. God, the reality is tonight, Apart from you, we are absolutely nothing. Even to kill sin, God, we can't kill sin on our own. Only you in us. Only out of that relationship that we have with you. God, by your spirit, God, that's how we kill sin. God, so help us see the severity of our sin, the seriousness of it. God, and I pray for every person in this room. God, as we respond. God, what do we confess? Because God, there are things that you want to show us that we will not see if we regard this iniquity, if we regard this sin in our heart as unimportant. So Father, convict us, do a work in this moment desperately, desperately need you.